today on the Emmaus Institute for Disciple Making podcast. Brian Abernathy and Ben Seals unpack chapters 9 and 10 of Tim Keller's book, Every Good Endeavor. Um, and so as you think about worldview, or I guess I want to start with a question like, do you think about worldview on a common basis? Or have you heard of, ever heard of that term even? Yeah, I mean, I guess not as much in the sense of work, but I guess in the sense of interacting with people. Obviously, like, as Christians, we have a standard for ourselves set by God and others don't, so we have to be mindful when we're <coughs> interacting with non-Christians and people who maybe, people who aren't believers to not... Um, not judge them for not acting like say we would or maybe would want them to. Yeah. The only way I interact with this question, with well, with the worldview in mind, is if I see some coworker or some somebody acting in a certain way, the only reason I can think of is like he probably did this because he was brought up like this, or he he feels this thing as that, and so that's the only. Uh, surrounding where I think about so like what 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 and what they do. Yeah. So is um, he kind of goes through and and does like a cursory summary of um, you know some pretty popular philosophical theories that are in you know the modern era. But ultimately, he does that to position them against the Christian worldview. And so there's, um, you know, there's there's quite a bit of talk about, you know, whether it's uh, Descartes or um, B.F. Skinner or some of the other folks that he lists out in pages 56 and 57. But ultimately, uh, by the time he gets to page 161, he starts to really clearly articulate the Christian worldview. So I want to I want to kind of start with the question of what are what are the four aspects of the Christian worldview that he talks about on 161 and how do they impact the way that we look at work through the lens of God's revelation. So again on 161 uh, what are the four aspects of the Christian worldview and how do they impact the way that we look at work? Second part of the question, how, how does that narrative impact the way that we look at our work? I think our worldview really helps like, set like, our identity, and identity helps motivate so much of our actions day-to-day. And so going back to the key point talking about, if you see, an, see, if you see somebody right, act a certain way, you go back to, well, how are they raised, or what, what do they think I'm doing correctly or incorrectly, or whatever, do they know they're doing? I just think that like it's so so tied to our actions and the output, right, of, of what everybody can see. Yep. What other ways do does the gospel or the world, the Christian worldview, impact the way that we look at our work? So that that idea of creation, fall, redemption, restoration, those four, you know, sort of high level 
unique qualities of the Christian worldview, how does that make a difference in the way that we view our work or the people we work with or the work that we do? I think in my case, it, it makes some problems smaller than they actually seem because it gives me hope. A lot of people really don't have any hope. You're like, oh my gosh, something happened at work. And yeah. it just like blows up to ridiculous proportions when it's actually not that big. Because that we're not about that this small problem, we're about something a lot, a lot bigger than that. Mm -hmm. I like your term hope because um, I see that in this as well. Like you know, we're, we're image bearers of God, so when we come up with these great plans or like I've got this idea or this thing I want to create or this thing I want to build, and it has problems and things don't go well, and the, the wolf brings up thorns and thistles and all that kind of thing, and they require solutions like. That's the model that God gave for us as well. So it does give me hope. Like, mm -hmm. oh, it's not all for naught when, when problems arise. Yeah. I think the biggest one is like, there's a guy in my office. I remember he actually went out and bought one of those time clocks that counted the days down to his last day of retirement. <laughs> so, like, it was like, he, I would watch the thing every day. I was like, man, you're really going to watch that every day. And I think the whole story here at the end is redemption and restoration. Like, you know, I think people just focus too much on a world of retirement because I've met so many people and I'm always like, now what? Like, this yeah. happened to your story? Like, you retire now and you need to watch Price is Right or whatever all day in your underwear and, and just spend your life? Like, there's more to it, you know? So at least, you know, I think we have a, you know, we know that there's more to the story. Yeah. I think one of the areas for me that it kind of ties to what, what you were saying, but like when mistakes happen or like inadvertent mistakes, not like purposeful issues, but even those like those will happen and they're guaranteed in a fallen world. Like some people have this pressure on themselves of perfection when that's not realistic. And so those imperfections that either they reveal or they uh, see in others or see in others work um, tends to get blown out of proportion and not having grace for those mistakes or those you know things that you know you may have I'm gonna pick on doctors because that's the context that I work in it's like they tell somebody to do something and then doctors are super smart people but they, they in their mind they tell them a hundred times, it was probably once or twice, and then when that person forgets and does it wrong again, because they see that issue once every six weeks maybe, the doctor like blows it out of the proportion when the reality is like it's like, they don't see this all day long, they didn't go to med school, like there's a 21 year old kid who's trying to keep up with you who's been in school for 21 years. Um, and so it's um, like just being able to like contextualize the situation faster, have the humility to put things in a right perspective. Um, 
is a big uh, influence, I think, for, for me from this idea of worldview. Um, what else? Somewhere between that level playing field and the hope comment, I think it gives us an ability to empathize with those that we work around that don't see that. Um, you know, just seeing the the emptiness of folks who are so caught up in. Uh, so, with the the company that I work for, the owners that are so greedy over their piece versus another person's piece, and just so caught up in that, it's like, man, is this? this is really what you're going to get worked up over, right? Like, no, nobody's going hungry here, right? And, and just lack of ability to see past, I've got to not just get mine, but make sure somebody else doesn't get more than should be theirs. Or getting the next title is all that there is to hope for. It's all I have to work for every day is getting this next thing. And just kind of pity those people. Uh, in, in a uh, not, not in a um, not in an arrogant way, but in a, how do you how do you live in that? You know, like I don't know that I uh, well, I wouldn't be any different apart from God's grace, but uh, I don't know that I could do it. I think I would like literally wear myself out uh, without that perspective of this. It matters, but it doesn't matter. You know, it, 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 there, there's hope. Um, and, and the field that I want to play on is not this one, right? Like, I'm, it's a whole different game with a whole different eternal scoreboard that is not my title, my position, my pay, whatever. Um, and apart from a biblical worldview, I don't know how anybody gets to that. Um, it, it's just, it, it's a confident resting place that we can go to. Especially if you look from a spiritual perspective, it happens to me so many times where you can feel the devil being like, okay, how can I like mess that person's life today, you know? Let me just like get that person annoyed for no reason or let, let me just uh, mess that thing up, make that machine not work today, you know, do, do something just to annoy mm -hmm. you. And if you're like, hey, if you see that from beforehand, you're just like, hey, that's okay. I know like the devil is going to always fight and yeah. you, you're able to pray about it and things like as I said, like become at a lot of a lower level than they they originally seemed. Yeah. So s specifically, as it pertains to work, how does how does a Christian worldview enable us to make sure that work stays in its proper place as a priority? Uh, and so one example I would give to that question is it's, it's a little, but, but I want to like kind of thinking about all the different worldviews that are mentioned in the chapter. Um, there's this ideology that employers and companies are now the next institution that will correct all the social wrongs. And so like worldview speaks into that, right? Like we have a perspective and a worldview that says like that's the Lord's to redeem, right? And so that's just one area 
I think that for, for me, that's very tangible. Um, but what are some of those other ways that a biblically founded worldview can help us keep work in its right priority or place in our life? What other areas? I think it gives us a purpose, but I also find that I remember when I was younger and kind of like deciding my career and, and kind of moving moving up, I, I remember being so focused and like all I could talk about was my job or whatever promotion. And as I've kind of progressed and at, at work and in, in life, that becomes less of what, like, I, I can leave work at work now and, and kind of not every conversation is around that. And I find that, like, I find that I'm a better associate when I do that as well. So I think even as, as far as work goes, I think when we have a higher calling, if you will, and a, a higher priority other than that, it puts it in the right perspective. And like he said, I think that's where he things become smaller and things aren't as big of a deal, and we can navigate situations better as well because we're not we're not that's not ultimately everything for us. I think when work's everything for people, and, and I mean I know we all work with people like that to where that's their whole life, and I think when something happens and when something falters, their whole world falters. For us, it's. I have a bad day at work or if I mess something up, it's a bad day, but my world's not crumbling because of that one thing. Yeah. And if I could springboard off of that, like it just, I mean, I have these memorized, so I'm always thinking about them. Philippians 4, right? You know, let your reasonableness be known to everyone, right? The Lord is at hand. He's right here. He's with mm -hmm. you. Like all these things don't matter as much as he does, you know, and, and he's with you through, you know, navigating these like difficult circumstances and, you know, he's going to bring you out of it, like, more more sanctified, you know. So, like, that's that's the point, like, loving him and trusting him through the, the difficult process, the struggle. That's, that's the point. So what are, you know, there's, you know, we talked a little bit about the guardrails that our worldview helps put on, 
the work that we do, but what are um, what are some of the areas where you personally feel like, you know, and Mario talked about priorities, but what are what are some of those areas where you feel like you're often tempted to um, bend that worldview or even drift outside of that worldview of leaving work in its proper place? I think we talked about this a little bit last week, but idols. I think idols start rearing its head, at least in my life. Mm-hmm. And I start looking at that instead of who, who God says I am and like, who I didn't need. So I start trying to seek it from things that I can tangibly try to achieve in some capacity or other. So I think uh, for me, it, it, it comes a lot of just like making sure I have my eyes fixed in the right direction. Like, if my priorities and idols and everything else, if they're my eyes are where they need to be. Same, same kind of sentiment. When I let somebody else dictate for me or define for me what my waypoints, goals, and the finish line is, all that gets messed up. Because then whatever they've said is oh this is this is everything and, and I've allowed them to kind of manipulate my worldview like I've now idolized either that thing that they put in front of me or that person's opinion and um, that's that totally messes things up for me. And it's funny how you can just get you can get yeah. distracted, right? And Brian, you talked about how like you go and check things off the list. Mm-hmm. That's kind of that's an easy way to know if you're accomplishing sucked into that trap. Oh, I'm doing stuff, mm-hmm. you know. And then quickly I realize, oh, that's you know, I'm probably an idol for me. I'm getting this stuff done. Yeah. I'm achieving these levels of projects. I'm taking on more projects because I like to do that. Yeah. I find that I have a really hard time accepting compliments from people, and I don't mean like, you know, oh shucks, like no. I mean like they <laughs> go to my head really easily. <laughs> When somebody tells me that I'm a great PM, like I have a really, like I, I think in Proverbs it says, right, a man is tested by his praise. Like, you know, I I do feel that and I can start to idolize like, you know, that sometimes like, you know, that person's opinion of me, sometimes like, you know, the work that I'm doing that got me that compliment, like, you know, so yeah, no, I feel that. That's a, that's a really, really easy one for me to slip into. I think for me, I kind of, uh, I get focused way too much on the numbers, which at a macro level is profitability or performance. And um, I tend to want to like only look at that and and want those black and white results to be, um, you know, the litmus test or the plumb line of what success looks like and not taking into account everything that's going on and and if i slow down and think about all that is happening it's um it's easier to contextualize and understand that the situations or circumstances but um you know my my the challenge is my my job my ultimate responsibility is to drive shareholder value right i got 14 bosses doctor owners and my job is to make them money um, and balancing that, like 
nature in me that wants to like hit that goal and hit that mark and drive profitability with making sure that I'm being a good steward of the people around me and the resources around me and not putting that profitability first or sacrificing, um, you know, compromising for short-term profitability is, is a challenge. And the weight that comes with that is, is sometimes frustrating. I think one of the, it's not in the four necessarily, you know, macro level uh, descriptions of the Christian worldview, but as you think about stewardship, like the gifts that we have and the talents that we have are gifts, right? They're not our own. They've been given to us to steward and that has worldview implications, right? To our posture, to our pride, to the way that we leverage them, and that is truly unique, right? You think about, it talks about Plato and Greek philosophy, about how it was very much around the acquisition of knowledge and the, the elitist mentality of education um, versus, you know, Marx or some of the other people that he, he referenced that look more at, you know, the political systems or government to be the source of justice and, um, you know, the idea that our talents and our abilities are actually a gift from our creator, like puts us in a much different position of um, questioning, but also, um, you know, it, it strips away that ability to demand as much as we're perhaps encouraged to do. Um, any other, any other thoughts on worldview or, uh, the ideas that were talked about in the, in the first, you know, really sort of two thirds of the chapter, um, as he, he went pretty deep into worldview talking about that. I'm just curious how you guys try to communicate There's 13 people in here, so you probably get 14 different answers, but I love the question. Um, yeah. So I, I will, um, I'll start. I, so as, as the CEO of a company, I feel like I have to be pretty careful about it. But 
my leadership team knows most of them are three out of the six of them so i guess that's half are believers um the other three are on some spectrum of not um but i've i've had the opportunity to share the gospel with two of them um, and be pretty bold about it um to this point over five years so i've, I've worked there a long time long time that's relative um, but, um, so inside that like circle of influence, that's super close. Um, there's a pretty clear transparency outside of that because, um, 14 out of the, well, I, I don't know that for sure. Um, I would reason to guess that the vast majority of my owners are not believers. Um, I've had two conversations with two of them about my faith um, over five years, long time. Um, so I, I would say on a scale of one to ten, I'm like a two from a boldness standpoint. Um, but when those opportunities are clearly presented, I try to step into them and be faithful and be responsive. Um, they don't happen every day. You know, based on that count, once a year, and seem like a great batting average. But um, I don't know. That's a that's kind of my. Well, I, I was thinking of this analogy: the average prison cell is six by eight feet, roughly forty-eight square feet. According to the U.S. Census, now uh, offices are down now to 100 to 150 square feet for offices. Now that's not including cubicles. So I've, I've come to this analogy like, what is the difference between a prison and some of these offices? I mean, four square walls, you're stuck yeah. in there eight hours a day. And I, I mean, obviously you have more, way more freedoms, but just that mentality. And you get a little more time in the yard, yeah. Two fifteens in an hour at lunch or 30 minutes at lunch, yeah, to, depending on whether it's maximum security or not. <laughs> no, I love it.
Like we don't have a water cooler, right? Like we're not mm -hmm. like we're <laughs> folks. So it's it's inherently very different. Most of my interaction with my team members is very brief purposeful calls or inside a client's office. And so that's inherently limiting as well because then we're engaging with a client. Um, but I look for stuff in their homes, you know, like uh, I had a team member who had uh, David or, uh, Paul David Tripp's New Morning Mercies. And just because I could recognize the binding because we have a copy of the book, right? I saw it on her desk and um, we all got cut back. She reported to me, we all got cut back after at the pandemic, not after. <clears throat> so was having that conversation with her, with our HR person, hey, your hours are going back. Mine have gone back to the, the whole company. Like it's just, this is what we gotta do. And she's losing it, right? Um, and staying on the call and I could say, this is not where you're provided for. Like I, that book that's on your desk. If you're reading that and you believe what's in that, you can trust that this job is not where your provision comes so that, that's one opportunity, right? And out of that discovered that she was a believer. Um, I've had three interviews with team members that have ended with me praying for the person I was interviewing. One of them we didn't hire, um, two others. One other we did and one other we're in the process of. No, no basis for it other than they were coming into a conversation with me after very tumultuous circumstances in their personal lives because it's not often that somebody wants to take a job in the middle of their career that's gonna have them traveling 40 to 50 weeks a year. So we kind of talk about that. So but those are just opportunities the Lord put in front of me. And I, I can't say that I did anything other than the Lord gave me the awareness to see those opportunities. Um, and the biggest thing that I think about is, is I try to not be the backbiting, throw them under the bus. I'm gonna own my failures and take accountability for myself because that is countercultural. Uh, I'm gonna strive to do the best and be fair and honest in all that I do and extend grace to people because that's countercultural. Um, and I know like for the ownership group that I work for, um, very, uh, from, you know, jokingly not in favor of religion to militantly opposed to the idea of organized religion. Like they're all on that end of the spectrum. So there's no context of they don't want to sit down and have a chat about it when literally other than in a working context, I don't ever see these people face to face. Um, but they all know that I operate differently than they do. Um, and I don't, um, we have this uh, hilarious saying that's mostly disregarded of uh, no inruns. So if somebody comes to someone that's not the person to handle whatever something is, the response is supposed to be, are you going to tell them or am I? Because it, you're, you're making an in run. So that's one of those things, particularly with them, because they all do it to one another, <laughs> is I've kind of taken it as I can, I can show them that they can rise above this and that we can operate as a company and treat people with, with dignity and respect. Um, and there may never be a question about that, um, but it's at least recognized that it's different. Uh, and hopefully there'll be a question, but, but there may not be. For me, it's like the word that keeps coming up in my mind is consistency. Um, the Lord's given me 
ton of different opportunities. I've, I've pushed a broom for companies before. I've spun wrenches. I've, I've also run $100 million sales teams. And the, the way I am at home is the same way I am at church, is the same way I am with my friends, is the same way I am with my coworkers, is the same way I am with people who work for me or who I work for. I mean, just having that consistency, knowing that all those different positions and different opportunities that God's given me were all gifts from him. I, I did my part, but it was through his power. Like, it, to me, like, that's, that's an opportunity to just recognize Hey, look, I'm here for a reason. I got a job to do, and as long as I'm doing this, then I'm gonna I'm gonna do it to the best of my ability. But um, when I'm working with people, it's like they need to see who I am, not who I think they need me to be. And um, that's I don't know, that's what got me. So I had some really good conversations with folks who had some really interesting And also, like I've been with folks that are very confused about who they are and who Christ is and um, came up in some, some pretty rough areas and, and um, rough upbringings and you know denounced faith and all that kind of thing and it's like but they saw that consistency in me and you know they've met my wife they've met my kids and now they're questioning everything that they ever thought about who Jesus is um, and I don't know I, I call that a win for the Lord so And, and like in my department, three of us are believers, right? My boss is a Jehovah's Witness, and uh, then the, the guy who's my peer, we both report to um, our boss, we, you know, just a Christian Christian. Anyway, so um, it really, it, it really shines forth, like when you conduct yourself and, and all the workings of your department with integrity, and again, authenticity and consistency, like, you know, my boss doesn't go into sales calls and like, you know, blow up like, you know, oh, we're the best at, you know, what it like, let us, you know, whatever, let's knock your socks off. I mean, he talks about stuff that we have done well, because we have done a lot well, and, and we have, like, have been incredibly blessed to be able to attract really talented people to our team who do amazing things. And they all want to stick with us because they feel valued. Like we've we've had lots of conversations with our team, and like they love being a part of our of our team. They they love you know again feeling valued. Like we get to know them. We you know we just have like you know conversations about like our weekend. We we talk about religion sometimes. Like not purposefully talk about religion, but it like you know hey yeah we had a church thing yesterday. You know how was your weekend? And, and sometimes we want to know a little bit more about that. Sometimes not. But like just having you know being open and transparent and yeah, just like leading with that integrity and, and valuing people, making people feel valued in a way that, you know, oh, you hit a great sales number, like good for you, you're you're valuable because of that. No, it's because of who you are and like we value you as a person. Anybody else? Good question. So the next uh, thing I want to dive into is he goes into uh, sort of these, these different, the gospel and 
uh, starting in, on 164 and then almost to the end of the chapter, he talks about five different sort of industries, uh, if you want to call them that. But I, I want to, you know, as, as you guys think about the industries that, that he lists out here. So it's um, the gospel in business, the gospel in journalism, the gospel in higher education, um, the gospel in the arts, the gospel in medicine, um, I think that's it. Yeah. So those those are the five. Which you know I, I don't I don't know if we have any journalists in here or maybe necessarily anybody who's in the arts or even higher education or education. I know we had a teacher here or have a teacher in here normally, but which one of those five did you did 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 you kind of resonate with? Um, some of the struggles that they had. Or um, is there an alternative market segment with its own unique struggle that um, you want to talk about? The next division of the book should include the gospel and technology. <clears throat> well, so we talked a little bit about technology in this chapter, right? So, you know, he talked about how um, Catherine Alsdorf, you know, came out of the tech community and the, the salvation that was going to come through the tech community of making everybody's life more efficient and making everybody more productive and helping solve all the world's problems through technology and the farce that that is. Um, so, you know, I think your, your point's real. There could be a, the gospel in technology. Almost like a lens that yep. you to see your worldview through. Um, from a technology perspective, you have the opportunity to build your own language, create your own environment, create time and all things in it, and dictate the pace and engagement of every element that is created within that new world. Like that's so within the UX kind of. Yeah. yeah. Like, and, and well, it could be, but it also could just be your space, and it could be this thing that you you created. So like you get from ex nilo you, you create and there's the, there's a lot of IT folks have got gobsmacked with what I'm saying. So <laughs> yeah. um, and it could be software, it could be hardware, it could be services, it doesn't matter. It's just through that I think there's there's a lot to say about how um, you know just in, in my um, experience in technology, I see a lot of the gospel working through even that virtual, digital, non-physical realm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think there's a lot of counterfeits across those. Like To me, the consistent thing is it's a pursuit of something that is a cheap alternative. Yep. Right? Like I think of a lot of technology, uh, particularly things that, that are normally interacted with on a daily basis is counterfeit community, right? Counterfeit authenticity. Um, profit is counterfeit provision. Like, uh, Not to say that it's bad, it's the position we put it in, right? A dollar is an amoral thing. It's just a thing. It's what we do with it, what position we put it in. Education. Um, 
the knowledge of God is the beginning of wisdom, is what Proverbs says. So a higher education would say otherwise in most cases. Um, medicine, the Lord is our healer and the good physician. Right? So there's all these natural things that God has given us to cultivate, to steward, to grow as a part of the cultural mandate that we read about weeks ago, right? But then in our brokenness because of, of the fall, those things become the end in themselves so easily in every one of those contexts. And we end up chasing the gift rather than the giver of the gift. Um, so like, there's obviously inherent differences, but like to me, just seeing the, the thread through there of all of those that art is seeking to create beauty, and especially with where some modern art goes, is certainly counterfeit and um, potentially even immoral. Immoral and blasphemous, <laughs> right? Um, but it, but it's art, you know. Um, easy to chase the wrong thing in all of those. I thought the gospel education really stuck out. They made that comment about these students that get in these Ivy League schools and they're like, you're the best of the best. You know, 8,000 students applied and only, you know, 100 got it. Whatever the numbers are. And just, I, I was thinking as a Christian, like, you know, and I think I've been on that sort of spectrum too where like, I've heard that same line like 10,000 you were the one that got it, and it makes me cringe when people talk like that, and as a believer, yeah. I think we should be careful how we talk about how how we got somewhere, how good we are, how good our education is, because, yeah, like he says, he says over and over, it's all from God, like, God has put us there, like, you can say all day long, pop your chest up, like, I did this, I put the iron on, but like, you know, God gave the desire and the skills, and I think that, like, that's just one thing for, you know, that really I think you have to be careful to deprive the people work is like sort of step back and stay away from those people when they start talking like that because something's getting ready to happen, you know. Um, and, and I've just learned also that when you, when you address other people, like especially in the workforce or professional world, instead of just like, here's all my resume and here's all, just, hey, here, here, here I am. Like, be confident, but be confident in Christ and not have to bolster up a resume yeah. to get people to, to like you or be impressed by you. I think what, um, you know, we'll, uh, we'll end uh, this section here for the sake of time, but um, each one of those, the gospel ends, talks about a caricature or um, an idol that can come out of those different industries, right? So business was profit. Journalism was the sale of an article over the authoring of truth, right? And it talked about how you can choose your sources strategically to back your underlying narrative. Education was talking about how, you know, the, the accessibility of education is the issue and that ultimately society will be, society will be better once everybody has access to higher education. Um, healthcare and the losing your identity as a child of God when you are suddenly put in a position of a, a, an almost godlike position of making healthcare determinations for people because they trust your education and they trust your experience and your background. You're prescribing medicines, you're prescribing treatment plans, you're prescribing regimens for them to follow and you lose your identity in Christ in that prescription. Or 
even operating in the healthcare industry and in the environment, like being so enamored with growing our practice because we're providing good, but ultimately it's my idol of wanting to be the biggest or wanting to be the best and balancing that like growing for the sake of like creating a sustainable business versus growing for the sake of my name and my reputation. So I don't know, each one of them had a different caricature that ultimately I think applies to all of the others. Um, I do think technology probably needs its own section, um, but, but there are countless other industries that probably need their own section too that, um, I don't know, one of the things that always blows my mind is just how many different, even in this room, like how many different segments of society we all touch that are completely unrelated. Right, and I think all of our work is pretty much completely unrelated in this room, um, just because of the intricacies of modern economy um, and the world in which we live, which to me is really cool. Um, but uh, yeah, I'll pass it off. I didn't stand up because I was going to fall asleep. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so going into chapter ten. Who was previously familiar with the, the term and the concept of common grace? Is that something y'all had heard before? Um, <laughs> it, was this perspective on common grace a new way of looking at that for you? Anyone? So I'd always, I say always, from the time that I first heard the word common grace, which was the first exposure I had to Reformed theology um, years ago, it was around the idea that the Lord causes the rain to fall on the righteous and the unjust, right? Now, the, the interesting caveat on, on that is the same Reformed theologians would also say there's no one righteous, which is interesting because then we find ourselves in the group that is just a benefactor of God's grace, sort of an aside. Um, but... Um, that, uh, yeah, um, that side of common grace in that the Lord uses people, gifts them, positions them, establishes them. Um, I think it's Jeremiah, uh, but it might be Daniel, but, um, talking about, I think it is Daniel talking about Nebuchadnezzar, actually. Um, Nebuchadnezzar builds a kingdom to himself. And the Lord says, hey, uh, you're going to go crazy because you're doing this for your own glory, right? And, you, you know, hair like feathers, claws like eagles, he's eating the grass of the field. Uh, then he comes back to his senses, honors the Lord, and it says the Lord entrusts the kingdoms of men to whom he wills, right? Um, that is both godly leaders and ungodly leaders. It is people in our workplaces and in our communities that have a biblical worldview, and it is some that do not, right? It's, it's the both and. Um, not just the rainfalls on all, but the Lord uses and gifts everyone for a purpose, for His purposes. Um, is it easy or hard for you to recognize and trust in how the Lord has gifted you and how he has positioned you in the work that you do each day. Easy, how come? Because 
there is no way that I would have chosen this career on my own. He literally slapped me into it. Yeah? So I would, I would have stuck hard, and I would have the same answer. Like, <coughs> so, and that's interesting. Like, I, I didn't apply to be CEO of a really large healthcare practice. I was put there by the Lord at the time that he chose. And for, a, and even still today, I question, like, am I the right person for this job? And I need my wife to remind me, like, if you're not, the Lord will pull you out of it. But right now, he's told you to stay there. So you've got whatever skills you need. And so I would say, no, it's not easy. It's really hard, and it's because I'm not equipped for it. Hmm. But that's not, that's not true either, yeah. right? Or, or that's not true. Yeah, is, wasn't it Keller that said where God leads, he provides, or something like that, or where God guides, he provides, something like that? I wouldn't be surprised. That sounds yeah. like something Keller would say. <laughs> Those true statements. Yeah. <laughs> so. Anybody else? to get promoted or whatever it is and 
and like um, it's gotten easier but I think a lot of those times it, it's hard to understand like with my <coughs> gifting why why I'm at a place or how am I applying those or how am I able to apply and I, I think it's one of those things to where like we've talked about idols a lot to where that's one thing to where God kind of pulls pulls that idol out of you it's like okay this is very easy for you right now because at a time to where you were when you're always striving for something I think um, it becomes something it's not supposed to be <coughs> that it's yours because you think you've created this and obviously I mean well hopefully you you feel like I've kind of been fortunate lately to where I've been able to kind of see myself grow and kind of see some of those things happen even though that hasn't always been the case but um, and that kind of the ease of that has brought me to a point to where I'm able to kind of just see things a little bit more and see the big picture of things but for me it's like the easier work is the harder it is for me to see Hmm. Which is kind of weird, but I'm, I'm in the same boat because, like, I, I do believe God controls my calendar, and He's been really good to me in my my um, my jobs and positions. And even when I'm like, you know, Lord, why do you want me to stay? Or Lord, are you sure you want me to go? Like, just being faithful to Him, He has been incredibly faithful to me. But it's it's those lulls mm-hmm. um, where like things start to dip down or I get gaps in my calendar or I feel like I always need to have ten plates spinning and when only eight of them are it's like <coughs> what should I fill those other two with mm-hmm. I'm always trying to fill them and so it's that's where it becomes difficult for me to um, to just submit to that process but if I if I do if I just step back he puts he gets those other ones going mm-hmm. and, it's, and it's always fulfilling so when I do it it's not so that that rhythm I think you're the one who actually talked to me and gave me this analogy like we're if you forgive me for the auto mechanic in the room this is going to stretch my ability to articulate anything about this is gonna be engines fun. this should be really interesting <laughs> um, like we are we are not always meant to run in sixth gear at red line all the time like there are times where we have to downshift and that spinning plates is I'm kind of in that season right now where there's not coming out of a really crazy season of a lot of stuff going on. And by the Lord's grace, like there's just not a lot of chaos going on right now. There's still some chaos, but like ultimately it's not 10 different things of chaos. It's one or two. And it's like, what am I doing wrong? You know, I need to do something else. It's like, well, you could just rest Mm -hmm. and you could like still do your job and still do good work and still be thoughtful on what you're, you know, using your time for. But you don't have to do 70 hour weeks. Like, you don't have to redline it all the time. So, is that you talking about? Yeah, the five gears. Yeah. Yeah, it's a leadership tool from a, a course I went through, and it's, it's five gears, right? So, you've got first gear, which is sort of like a water cooler type stuff. Second gear is moderate task focus. Third gear is um, okay, I really need to think about this. Maybe a little bit of collaboration. Um, fourth gear is higher level. And then fifth is I'm in it. And I'm, and like, don't bother me. Don't interrupt me. I need to focus on this. And then reverse is I stepped on somebody or drove over somebody or whatever. And kind of those 
how we control the pace of our mental and emotional energy um, and that we we have to go through all of those gears right like you can take that and this was built off of a discipleship model which is interesting too um, it's called the five gears. It's by uh, Giant Worldwide, um, and uh, we relationally have to interact and intersect with people in all of those gears, in what we're called to. Right? Like you can think about that in a biblical worldview. R- reverse is repentance. Right? It's like, hey, I was wrong. Um, so that's yeah. Um, just as an aside. Uh, so with that, how do you? How do we see? our gifting in the place the Lord has called us. I want to flip it on its head in that context of common grace that the Lord works through those who don't know Him uh, for the good of creation. How easily can you spot and how much do you trust the Lord with what He has gifted and entrusted to others on a day-to-day basis? Each of them had such similar problems, and I never really put it all together until you just mentioned this. They all had um, like this common grace, right? They were they've been blessed into the positions that they're in with the resources they had available, and I mean, let's be honest, the the, the compensation plans that they had, um, and even with all that, it was chasing after wind. Mm-hmm. I mean, they just they didn't know what to do with it, and it's like. They're they're perfect poster child for, um, you know, chasing after promotions or paychecks or status or whatever it is. Like, well, what do you do once you get it? And they they didn't have that next answer because what should have been a tool for them to um, to bless people and and bless bless God ended up becoming finish line like mm-hmm. somebody else dictated for them hey this is everything that there is you're going to become a manager or a director or a vice president or whatever the heck it is um and that was everything and then when they got there they realized oh it's just another job i have just as many headaches sure i got more cash in the bank but that came with so much more stress and in each one of their like one of their faces, like I remember conversations I've had with them about just, I, the Lord gave me an opportunity to just talk to them about consistency. Like, hey, maybe that's, maybe that C-level position isn't all that there is. Have you ever given that a mm-hmm. consideration? You know? When was the last time you took your wife out? Did you buy that lake house? You know? Like, those kind of, those little things where it's like, takes you out of the, the rat race and into some higher level of thinking of, okay, what am I supposed to be focused on? Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a whole nother, that and dairy proteins are a whole other topic of conversation around like, what's the purpose of all that we have gained? Mm-hmm. Right? And like, when is when is enough enough? How do you look at that 
extra grace that so many of us have been given. And, you know, I, I it, yeah, that's a whole other thing. Yeah. Well, like, like what you were saying earlier, like the end goal is not to sit at home in your underpants watching. It's not. Price yeah. is right. Because that'll last. All the week, time. Not all the time. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, with that, with that level of stress in your life, you know, not, yeah. not, <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't see how somebody could last more than a week. Yeah. So interesting paradigm on that. Jesus said to Peter, you're the rock on which I'll build my church. And then a few pages later, he says, get behind me, Satan. So in your question in the last chapter of how do we carry a biblical worldview, if you get to work with other people under this guise of common grace and the belief of general revelation and the idea that God is making himself apparent through all that's going on, you've got opportunities to call out those giftings and help people see that the work they do is more than the title, the compensation, all that stuff, especially if you're leading other people, right? But also you can do this with superiors, right? Folks you report to, hey, you're really good at at this and it really helps me fulfill this bigger picture of what I get to do beyond just this job every day and impact people's lives. I mean, whatever, all of the many contexts that we're in are, right? Um, but if you think about the people you get to work with and lead in a discipleship context, even if they're not believers, and you think about cultivating that gift, it's important that we see it ourselves for ourselves because we need to remember that the Lord has us where we are for a purpose, right? Um, but approaching those that we get to lead and work with on a team to call out those good things and say, man, you're really good at this. Um, and, and it's just like something in you is just wired for that. And I don't think it's an accident. Like I think you were intentionally made to be good at this. Um, and there's so much value in that beyond just this thing that you do, because so many folks can't disconnect from, well, this is my job and everything I do is right here. They just don't see that stuff. Um, and when that starts a conversation, we get to very easily talk about why we can see that and why we can think that way. Um, and it's interesting, Mario, to go back to the technology. That's a place that's hard for me to see the general revelation in the value of technology, right? Because it, like it hasn't made our life easier. But as I'm saying that, I can get a, a, a thousand Gospel Coalition podcasts to listen to on a plane or while I'm working in the yard. So um, there are redemptive qualities to some of that stuff. But um, we can see the pros and the cons in those things. And, and even those that are so unique, the, you know, arguably most of the folks that develop and advance a lot of those technologies probably weren't doing it with a kingdom mindset, right? They, they probably weren't thinking, how can we make it really easy to get the gospel to the corners of the world? Well, you've got folks in, you know, 
incredibly underdeveloped countries that have smartphones now. So there's the way, right? I mean, or even filters. Take, yeah. take the technology back another 40, 50 years. There's, um, did you know that there are still radio transmitters out there? They're all over the world and they translate sermons in native yeah. languages to areas that either don't have phones or the government controls the internet, those kinds of things. And their governments are filled with you know, politicians, much like we have here, that don't understand current technology, let alone previous technology. So they don't know how to stop the radio waves. So like you, you, you talk about like Ukraine and so on. Yeah. There are people in Saudi Arabia and Iraq and you know, in, in, in areas where if, if someone were to walk door to door with the Bible, they they'd meet their end very quickly. Whereas radio transmitters are sending out signals to folks that are meeting Christ hundreds at a time, we just, we could not physically cover that much ground. Yeah, yeah. So I think about like television, right? So my wife is continually disappointed that my kids don't want to go to the zoo. But it's like, look, you can turn on our TV and open up Discovery whatever, and the zoo comes into our home at a clarity and a proximity that's better than the zoo. With no smell. With no smell. Yeah. And the lions are awake. <laughs> and it's yeah. not hot. Yeah, like the lions are awake. So, like, always disappointed um, that the kids don't want to go to the zoo. But like, that's God's mm -hmm. glory, right? On display, creation mm -hmm. on display, accessible because of technology. And that's just yeah. Through the window of evil into our living rooms. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so uh, two other concepts to hit. Creation is. He means the nature that's coming through. The nature, not the TV. Yeah. Yeah. The nature that is on display, not the TV itself. Yeah. It is the window of the devil. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Well, not according to Piper, but. Yeah. Yeah. So um, in the dialogue of popular, popular culture, it talks about a thin and a thick view of sin. Uh, I'm interested in responses and thoughts on that dichotomy of perspective on sin. The thin view of sin being if we, if we look at sin in a legalistic way where we're seeing where sin is seen as a series of discrete acts of non-compliance and we seek to disengage and separate ourselves from the context of those non-compliant uh, ideas. Um, and so, it, it, and I don't know the page numbers because I've got a different iteration of the book. 197. Um, thin view of sin. Sin can easily be removed from your life through the separation, through separation and discipline. And then the thick view of sin is that sin is organic in its nature and in us and in all that we do. And even if we're separated from the evil things, our hearts will make other idols out of everything. Um, so just interested in thoughts around that paradigm, uh, those two paradigms of sin, if there were um, hard things to, to reason with, 
uh, new ways of thinking in that for anyone? Yeah, through that personal recognition and, and pain of it. Yeah. yeah. I think if you define it in any kind of action, because there's a ton of actions that are sin, um, or that there's a ton of things we can do for that. And I think when we define it that way, it just puts it on the checklist or puts it on the rule book. Or I think that's when, when it can create bitterness or things of that. But like when you feel the pain of it, Mm. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. Anybody else? I mean, I don't know if I'm on the right track here, but I was thinking, I, I was reading Second John this morning when Jesus went to Jerusalem and he came to the church and they were selling stuff and he flipped over the table and said, this is my house of worship, get out. I, I mean, I've seen it in churches where, you know, hey, I'm a realtor, here's my business card, or, you know, bringing work into church, like, it's not as overt, maybe it was back then, but like, I don't know. Like, it's a, it's a good question. Like, are people, you know, are we sitting in the church when people are trying to, you know, make a little business venture here or there, put on my business, or get some context? Like, I, it just made me think about that today as we're reading the stuff about work. And, you know, like, if we're, if we are a temple to God and our jobs are, you know, through Christ, are we using what He's giving us to, you know, so is so I'll lean into that one a little bit because I have a wife who delivers products that she makes themselves to I church. No, 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 <laughs> but her and I have had this conversation, right? So like, she has this side business. She calls it a side business. I call it a hobby. Hold on, let me show uh, the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> hustle. Side hustle. There we go. Side hustle. Um, it is. It's, it's perfect for her. And, and right, her her intention is not to come to church and sell a bunch of stuff. She just found something that she really enjoys, and she's really good at, and people are giving her money for it. Um, it just happens to be that most of our communities here at church. So like. One day she was delivering, like I felt like we were standing at the church door, like handing out bags <clears throat> of stuff that she had made for people. And I made that joke and she, we had a long conversation on the drive home um, about the difference. Because my, um, sorry, 
sarcastic comment didn't land well with um, my bride. So um, I, I think there's, but I also think that if you go down a rabbit hole, you could look at should we be more small business centric, community centric, mm -hmm. and more focused on supporting small businesses. Mm -hmm. And focused on. Great book called The Benedict Option, oh, you should read if you like that idea. I'm not intending for that to come up. <laughs> it's a great Just saying. Um, <laughs> but, like, there's. Um, like, maybe the the large, I, I don't know, maybe there's a place for it, mm. not in the fact that we're turning the church into an economic benefit, but we are recognizing that we have a community of people here who have some really amazing talents, and perhaps we should be willing to pay them more because we know that it stewards their family resources, their family, we know that they're faithful and that a portion of that money is gonna return to the church and we know where that money's going versus where Amazon's money's going, or mm -hmm. Target's, or whomever's, that's going to support immoral things. I kind of struggled with that with the church, um, especially like some, like having coffee shops or whatever. Um, and I think there's an argument for that, but. I used to do the same thing. <laughs> I used like, to work in a church coffee shop. <laughs> but like I went on a, I went on a mission trip to Tijuana, Mexico, and lo and behold, the little church there, they were selling burritos, tacos, and coffee. To subsist. And yeah. literally, for yeah. a lot of those people, I mean, they were selling them fairly, I think it was a quarter or 50 cents, they were selling them fairly cheaply, and I think some of it they were given away, but just to kind of put it in a different context, I mean, I think a lot of it, that might have been what they could afford, or what what they, what was accessible to them. Mm -hmm. So, and not to say that it's right for some, I mean, there's definitely an argument for churches, you know, in different contexts, but that's just one, I don't, I don't think it's a simple yes or no. Yeah. I think uh, it kind of, yeah, much, much that's the key. Yeah. yeah. So here's, I'll kind of bring them together. I grew up in a church with a very thin view of sin, very legalistic. And to go on your analogy and yours, Ben, um, I remember coming into church to sell wrapping paper, right? Whatever it was for school. Um, and someone else in the church, hey, man, you don't make the Lord's church a house of, uh, of commerce. But when we had the youth group fundraiser to sell tickets to the barbecue dinner, it was totally fine to do it in the church. So there's a little bit of hypocrisy that was, pre and it was like, it was not overt, but it was like, I realized that later in life, I was like, well, this one, somebody made a snide, not any, not anybody in leadership of the church, but just somebody said that. But then that same person would have sold their kids barbecue tickets to their friends in their Sunday school class, right? Thanks for saying so, that. Yeah, they would have sold their kids. Yeah, sold their kids. <laughs> Some of them might've sold their kids. I don't know. Um, uh, so is it possible that Ben and I could each do the same action and one of us be doing that in sin and one of us be doing it in righteous purpose? Absolutely. Right? Like that's the, the thick view of sin is that it is our hearts. Um, I can get on a soapbox with that, this idea around sin really, really well, because I hate the word sins because what we do does not condemn us. If it did, all we would need to do is stop doing it, 
and we don't need Jesus, right? So in a thin view of sin, sin can essentially be removed from your life through separation and discipline. Why do we need Jesus, right? But if our heart is inherently broken and the first sinful act in our lives was the first time we drew a breath, which if we were conceived in sin is very, very likely a reasonable way to think about that. We need a savior from the second we draw that breath. And so it doesn't matter what we remove from our life, from our work environment, from our idols, from the things that we're pursuing. We recognize that that sin, until we are fully regenerated in, in sinless bodies, is a weight on our hearts that we can't avoid and can't be free from uh, in our lives. Now, obviously, when we have been saved and justified and redeemed and all that, like sanctification is, is weaning us away from that submissiveness to sin. But that is, even amongst the American church, I would say a very countercultural perspective and way to think about our sin. But it creates an air of humility. And to go to the last topic in the chapter that we're not really going to dive into for time, uh, dualism and integration. If we think in that thin view of sin, this thing is sin and that thing is sacred, we end up in a dualistic worldview where, oh, here's the Christian thing over here and here's the not Christian thing that's just separate and we can compartmentalize. We lose consistency across areas of our lives. Or we can look at this worldview of integration, and I'm just going to read the last chapter of the book to close. The integration of faith and work is the opposite of dualism. We should be willing to be very engaged with the cultural and vocational worlds of non-Christians. Our thick view of sin will remind us that even explicitly Christian work and culture will always have some idolatrous discourse within it. Our thick view of common grace will remind us that even explicitly non-Christian work and culture will always have some witness to God's truth in it. Because Christians are never as good as their right beliefs make as their right beliefs should make them, and non-Christians are never as bad as their wrong beliefs should make them. We will adopt a stance of critical enjoyment of human culture and its expression in every field of work. We'll learn to recognize the half-truths. Uh, we talked several weeks ago about sort of that intersection of the light and dark, that tension point, right? Uh, we'll learn to recognize the half-truths and resist the idols. We'll learn to recognize and celebrate glimpses of justice, wisdom, truth, and beauty we find around us in all aspects of life. Ultimately, a grasp of the gospel and a biblical teaching on cultural engagement should lead Christians to be the most appreciative of the hands of God behind the work of our colleagues and neighbors. That's a, uh, you know, the chapter of a new conception of work. We really just flipped the culture of work and economy on its head, right? Um, it, it's, it's a really easy thing to read and think, man, that's awesome. And then it practically speaking is a lot more complicated to go out and live out because those tensions of worldview and beliefs and sin wrestling within us even get in the way of it. But um, working to put to death that lie of dualism and recognize how the Lord has called us into the places we are alongside the people we're aside, those who are, are believers and those who are not, is for His purposes. And um, 
one big way, I'll go back to, I'll close with this because I wanted to say it earlier, talking about worldview. Uh, worldview is built and instilled through catechisms in the history of the church, right? So we do big picture questions with the kids ministry. And the first one we did this year was, um, uh, uh, shoot, I just forgot it. Now that I said this, um, no, it's how and why did God create us? God created us for his purpose and for, uh, for his glory and for our good. So that intersection of his glory and our good are hand in hand in a biblical worldview. Um, and we can trust that, but we have to learn to look for that. Um, and catechism is just a great way to, to learn that and have ways to think it, teach it to your kids, whatever. That's beside the point. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to pray for us, and then uh, it's time to go. Lord, we thank you that um, your grace is uh, common, but we thank you that it is specific as well, Lord, and that it has... Uh, been specifically poured out in each of our lives. Uh, we thank you for that work of salvation that you have, have done for us uh, and the, uh, the work of sanctification you are doing within us and the work of redemption and restoration that you call us to help you carry out through the work that we do, engaging culture, uh, working alongside others, believer and non-secular um, and sacred roles that we may have each day. Um, and I pray that you would help our minds to be shaped by your truth, uh, shaped by this paradigm and perspective of truth that we've discussed, uh, to see um, the alignment, the interconnectedness uh, of, uh, of the working world and what you've called us to. Um, I pray that this, uh, this would help frame uh, practical application, ability to carry a biblical worldview into the work that we do, um, to, to speak that and, and call that out in appropriate ways with those that we work with, Lord, um, because we believe that, it, that you will use it all for your glory and for our good. Um, and so uh, I just pray that over each of us uh, this next week and the months and years ahead of us, Lord, uh, that you would help us to remember uh, the prize that you have called us to run towards and it's not a paycheck and it's not a recliner and the price is right. It is um, uh, ultimately crowns that we will just throw down at your feet. Um, so uh, I pray that you would help us to, to maintain that, that perspective. And we pray all this in Christ's name, amen.